Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hello, and welcome to Into the Night, a Finance of Freddy's podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and thank you for listening. On today's episode, we are going to be discussing the first two games in the Finance of Freddy's series. When dissecting a story as complex as the one present in Finance of Freddy's, you have got to start at the foundation before getting into the more broader subjects. In its adolescent stages, where the series was still being constructed by one man, the game's story worked on a much smaller scale. The games were more prioritized in delivering on their dark atmosphere and tension-filled gameplay, rather than an overarching narrative that would create a universe that would span across a plethora of books and games. However, this is also the FNAF that most are probably familiar with. The Rundown Pizzeria. The Night Guard being hunted down by animatronics for not even minimum wage. And the spirits of children haunting this world eternally, searching for their killer. An elusive, smiling man in the shadows. Before we can get into the characters and broader plot of Finance of Freddy's, we first need to understand its world and setting, the backdrop of where it all takes place, which is what we'll be covering today, starting with the original Finance of Freddy's. This is Episode 2, The Missing Children's Incident, Part 1. Our story begins in 1993, with a position opening at the children's entertainment restaurant Freddy Fazbear's Pizza, a self-described magical place where fantasy and fun come to life. The location is reminiscent of its real-life counterparts of Chuck E. Cheese, or more accurately, Showbiz Pizza Place. Arcades line up the halls for children to win tickets to turn into prizes, and the pizza is either a bit too soggy or a bit too greasy, and always has that weird aftertaste. Cheap colored lights shine bright and loud music bounced off the walls, filling the room with excitement for children of all ages. Their parents would entertain themselves with idle chat with each other, their conversations occasionally interrupted by watching the theatrics of their children screaming and playing to their heart's content, without a single care in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Fazbear Entertainment would like you to put your hands together for the one, the only, Freddy Fazbear. The main attraction of Freddy Fazbear's Pizza was, of course, the Freddy Fazbear animatronic band. The singing mascot ensemble was led by the figure of the restaurant chain himself, Freddy Fazbear, accompanied by his bandmates, Bonnie the Bunny, Chica the Chicken, as well as a fox pirate known as Foxy, who entertains children on his own private stage called Pirate's Cove. Despite their uncanny appearance to some, these robots have entertained children for over a decade, and through the grime, stains, and unsanitized matted fur and rusted metal joints, 
the Romans the Pizzeria engraved a special place in the hearts of children. But nothing could quite last forever. While the restaurant used to be a massive chain, hosting numerous locations, it has now become a brand in slow decay. Rare to see one not boarded up and abandoned, rare to see one in operation, and rare still to see a parent daring to take their children there. After a few years of trying to write out the bad press and criminal allegations that surround the company, they have been reduced to only one active location. The business has slowed down so badly that management has been looking for someone to buy them out for months, but nobody credible or even uncredible wants to associate themselves with Fazbear Entertainment, a reputation made even worse by the poor condition of the robotic entertainers who have become well acquainted with the local health department in the area. The pizzeria has been given numerous citations concerning health, sanitation, plus staff and employee well-being. But the health department's main concern has always involved the stage performers themselves, most notably reports from parents who smelt foul odor and spotted a strange black fluid akin to the texture to blood leaking from the animatronic's eye sockets. For all these reasons and any other incidents that the company takes absolutely no responsibility for unless proven otherwise, the very last Freddy Fazbear's Pizza is set to close the stores by the end of the year. They still need somebody to look over their establishment at night, however, ever since their previous night guard, reportedly, quit. A man who gives his name as Mike Schmidt decides to take up the night shift. An easy enough job, one would think. All he has to do is monitor the cameras, ensure the general safety of the equipment and property, and of course, watch over their animatronic characters from the hours of 12am to 6am. Fortunately for Mike, the previous guard was helpful enough to leave some audio treating cassettes using the work phone from his security office. The man over the phone explains that he is recording these for Mike as he is finishing up the last few shifts of his final week, and that Mike will have nothing to worry about on the shift as he will go over everything he needs to know. As Mike gets settled in, the man on the phone reads off some company legalese and a voice reminiscent of a man who hasn't got enough sleep and is ready to get off work. So, let's just focus on getting you through your first week, okay? Uh, let's see. First, there's an introductory greeting from the company that I'm supposed to read. It's kind of a legal thing, you know. Um, welcome to Freddy Fazbear's Pizza, a magical place for kids and grown-ups alike, where fantasy and fun come to life. Fazbear Entertainment is not responsible for damage to property or person. Upon discovering that damage or death have occurred, a missing person report will be filed within 90 days or as soon as property and premises have been thoroughly cleaned and bleached and the carpets have been replaced. Blah, blah, blah. Now, that might sound bad, I know, but there's really nothing to worry about. Uh, the animatronic characters here do get a bit quirky at night, but do I blame them? No. If I were forced to sing those same stupid songs for 20 years and I never got a bath, I'd probably be a bit irritable at night too. So remember, these characters hold a special place in the hearts of children and we need to show them a little respect, right? Okay. So just be aware, the characters do tend to wander a bit. Uh, they're left in some kind of free roaming mode at night. Uh, something about their servos locking up, they get turned off for too long. Uh, they used to be allowed to walk around during the day, too, but then there was the bite of 87. 
Yeah. It's amazing that the human body can live without the frontal lobe, you know? Uh, now, concerning your safety, the only real risk to you as a night watchman here, if any, is the fact that these characters, uh, if they happen to see you after hours, probably won't recognize you as a person. They'll, they'll most likely see you as a metal endoskeleton without its costume on. Now, since that's against the rules here at Freddy Fazbear's Pizza, they'll probably try to forcefully stuff you inside a Freddy Fazbear suit. Um, now, that wouldn't be so bad if the suits themselves weren't filled with crossbeams, wires, and animatronic devices, especially around the facial area. So you can imagine how having your head forcibly pressed inside one of those could cause a bit of discomfort and death. Uh, the only parts of you that would likely see the light of day again would be your eyeballs and teeth when they pop out the front of the mask. <laughs> yeah, they don't tell you these things when you sign up. Uh, evidently not. Now, we are never given a name for this man, so the community, and eventually the game's lore itself, simply dubbed him as Phone Guy. And Phone Guy's warning proves to be very... Very valid. As Mike begins to dart through the cameras while the man on the phone continues his monologue, the once static characters on the show stage were no longer there. The isolated pizzeria began to emit abnormal sounds, echoing music, springs coiling, and metallic feet moving in the shadows of the room. Only every once in a while would Mike spot the metal anthropomorphic cartoons stalking about, barely visible to the erratic static of the old camera pan and they were always looking directly at Michael through the camera feed on the screen. The way they moved around was uncanny, with almost supernatural awareness of when a camera feed would be lost and only then would they seemingly shift to a new room. The only time Mike would see the metal creatures, they stood like statues. Even more preternatural is whenever the animatronics got close enough, Mike could hear the faint imitation of human breath and groans leaking out of the suits. While it caused tingles at the back of his neck, it was also a helpful warning seeing as his cameras had blind spots right outside his security office. Whenever they got too close, Mike would activate the security doors to lock them outside. But unfortunately, keeping the doors locked for too long slowly began draining the building's limited power supply. Apparently, in an expert mixture of safety precaution and cutting corners, Fazbear Entertainment limited the amount of electricity the building could use during the night. Yes, business has been going that badly for them. The moment the building's power limit is reached, the facility goes dark, and the secure doors will open for the safety of all those who could potentially be trapped inside. Hmm. Michael must then plan his moves accordingly if he wishes to make it to the birth of dawn keeping his eyes out for where they are located across the building while simultaneously managing how much time of his limited power he spends on his defenses before he becomes a sitting duck. Because until he can make it to 6am, for some unknown reason the animatronics cease all hostility and return to their stages at 6am, ignoring Michael allowing him to leave, even if the building's power runs out.
when you wake up, just remember, friends are forever. Now, you may be wondering, why are these machines acting so erratic and homicidal at night? What inside of them causes this chaotic behavior? Well, after surviving four days on the job, Mike discovers that Phone Guy has been helpful enough to have taken a look at what could be going wrong with them, and was able to inform him of what he found on his final day on the job. discovers can be better illustrated through the various newspaper clippings that can be found on the walls of Freddy's. While Michael, and by extension you the player, may miss it, the walls of Freddy's don't always look the same. The pizzeria is actually never in a constant state. Instead, its environment is continuously fluctuating. Sometimes posters and children's artwork that hang by aged tape on stained brick walls will suddenly change. Posters and animatronics will turn into children crying, and stationary objects will shift about the room, disappearing and reappearing seemingly from thin air. These newspaper clippings are one of just many examples of such supernatural phenomenon occurring in the restaurant, but it also reveals the origin of said phenomena. Quote, Kids vanish at local pizzeria. Bodies not found. Two local children were reportedly lured into a back room during the late hours of operation at Freddy Fazbear's Pizza on the night of June 26th. While video surveillance identified the man responsible and led to his capture the following morning, the children themselves were never found and are presumed dead. Police think the suspect dressed as a company mascot to earn the children's trust. Another newspaper clipping from a more recent date elaborates even further. Quote, Five children now reported missing. Suspect convicted. Five children are now linked to the incident at Freddy Fazbear's Pizza, where a man dressed as a cartoon mascot lured them into a back room. While the suspect has been charged, the bodies themselves were never found. Freddy Fazbear's Pizza has been fighting an uphill battle ever since to convince the families to return to the pizzeria. It's a tragedy. End quote. The last part of that quote was more than likely from the upper management of Fazbear Entertainment. The same management that decided on downsizing the restaurant chain and eventually completely abandoning it by the end of the year, all stemming from the lack of parental trust in the business with concerns about the safety of children, not to mention the unsavory health risk, including that foul odor and blood-like liquid leaking from the animatronic characters. Now have you figured it out yet? 
upon. Think about everything we've gone over. The mysterious liquid element, most likely blood and mucus, leaking out of the eyes and mouths of the mouse guys. Likening them to reanimated carcasses, the moans, the erratic behavior, all the paranormal events. Is it not obvious that the children who went missing never left? No. They lived on in their misery. Within the characters they loved, they lived on. This event of five missing children will go on to be known as the Missing Children Incident, or MCI for short. The police would search everywhere for these children, top to bottom, but never looked into the mascot characters themselves. There, they would find the children rotting and decaying, just like the restaurant which has now become their tomb. However, when night comes, they would reawaken. The dead now attach their chassis of cold metal and wires and move about the restaurant as one, animatronic and soul. And after Mike survived the children's wrath for a week and completes his work shift, obtaining his well-deserved $120 paycheck, he is promptly fired for tampering with the animatronics. Oh, for reasons we can only assume. The business, after his employment, will fade into obscurity, and all its past incidents will soon become lost to legend. Before we move on to Finance of Freeze 2, you might have noticed that I said five kids went missing, but only mentioned four animatronic characters, Freddy, Bonnie, Chica, and Foxy. Well, if all the kids possessed the suits of the characters, what happened to the fifth child? Well, there just so happens to be one other character that haunts the pizzeria. Seldom if you see him, though. But occasionally, when the posters in the restaurants change, the poster in the West Hall can change into what looks like to be a yellow version of Freddy, screaming, with nothing in his sockets but a deep, endless well of blackness. And lowering the camera monitor will cause a spew of hallucinations, including which will be a slumped-over yellow Freddy, staring directly at Mike and emitting the faintest of childish screams. <laughs> this entity is known as Golden Freddy. It isn't an animatronic, as opening the camera panel up again will cause it to disappear. But it can kill you. So it isn't a hallucination either. This is the presumed location and identity of our fifth missing child spirit. For reasons unknown, this child seems to be a spectral ghost, a manifestation taking the form of this golden Freddy, with the bare scent of life coming from white specks of light from his dark sockets. But even to this day, the reasons behind this spirit taking the form of an apparition and the limit to their capabilities are currently unknown. <laughs> Let's take a minute to talk about the missing children's incident by spinning back the clock a little bit. While we are unable to discuss the specifics of the missing children's incident at this time, we can discuss some finer points of Fazbear Entertainment's response to it. In the sequel to Finance of Freddy's, appropriately titled Finance of Freddy's 2, we can gather a few more necessary puzzle pieces to complete the picture. 
FNAF 2 takes place in November 1987, 60 years before the events of the first game and two years after the MCI. Basement Entertainment has been busy coming up with a solution for their PR nightmare. Children disappearing on their premises really does do a damper on public safety and trust. And they are willing to pay a small fortune in order to bring their company back from the brink. A bigger location, with bigger attractions, more arcade machines, more party rooms, and animatronic entertainers constructed with top-of-the-line, cutting-edge technology. This new location, which has canonically been called the New Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria, holds the brand new toy animatronics, revamped versions of Freddy, Bonnie, Chica, and Foxy, as well as new mascots, a tall, lanky, gift-giving puppet known as the Marionette, and a stout humanoid robot known as Balloon Boy. Hello. Each one of these brand new mechanical attractions is much cleaner and sleek compared to the original counterparts, which use leather padding to make their outer shells as well as a more simplistic computer system that could only follow rudimentary instructions and inputs. The toy animatronics are not only more advanced, but also include a revolutionary facial recognition technology directly linked to a local criminal database, ensuring children inside the building are always safe and sound for their protection, for the parents' conscience, and the company's bottom line. Essentially, Fazbear Entertainment is taking every precaution to make sure that nobody will be hurt during business hours, even hiring a day guard for this brand new location, as well as a night guard. Uh, that said, it's Phasm Entertainment. They aren't perfect, especially when it comes to their own hardware. You see, the company did need to cut corners in some places to turn a profit, and that just so happened to be in spare parts. The original Fazbear game, the ones from the NCI incident, they are here. Located in the back of parts and service, ready to be pulled apart at a moment's notice to repair the replacements. That's not to say complacency and shortcutting isn't a philosophy owned solely by Fazbear Corp. The employees of this new location have also started to become lazy when it comes to safety concerns, especially when it comes to their younger customers. You see, similar to the setup of the original pizzeria, the Foxing animatronic is separate from the main band, making up a solo act on a separate location. In this case, Fazbear Entertainment has made a toddler play zone known as Kids Cove for the toy foxy animatronic. Unfortunately, children can't simply keep their hands to themselves, and every shift, the employees would have to continuously repair toy foxy, putting her back together again. But it was getting too costly and too tiresome, so they simply acquiesced to it. Because no matter how many times they put her back, she would just be pulled apart again. So they gave up and Toy Fox was made into a take-apart-and-put-it-back-together attraction. The employees even gave him a new name. They called him The Mangle. Luckily for the staff, there is one man they can begrudgingly rely on. Yes, our soon-to-be-deceased phone guy also works at this location. While in the original game he was just simply the night guard of the location, here that position is already filled and instead he presents himself as someone above the general staff or management. From what we can gleam, it seems to be that he was part of the human resource team in the 1980s. Think Toby from The Office, someone who is isolated not part of the family and the work environment, but still reports to higher ups of the corporation and management side of things. All was going well with the grand reopening until the night guard requests a transfer to the day shift, 
relegating a spot open for a new hire. This time, the mantle of Night Guard was taken up by a man named Jeremy Fitzgerald, who, just like Mike Schmidt before, or I guess in the terms of the timeline events after, uh, must work a full week on the job. Luckily, with the new toy animatronics primed with various security measures, and all this emphasis on safety in the building and marketing, Jeremy should be golden. Right? Although, if everything is safe and top of the line, why did the day shift guard transfer anyway? Uh, mainly, he expressed concern that certain characters seem to move around at night and even attempted to get into his office. Now, from what we know, that should be impossible. Uh, that restaurant should be the safest place on Earth. So, while our engineers don't really have an explanation for this, the working theory is that the robots were never given a proper night mode. So, when it gets quiet, they think they're in the wrong room. So, then they go try to find where the people are, and in this case, that's your office. So our temporary solution is this. There's a music box over by the product counter, and it's rigged to be wound up remotely. So just every once in a while, switch over to the product counter video feed and wind it up for a few seconds. It doesn't seem to affect all of the animatronics, but it does affect one of them. <clears throat> uh, and as for the rest of them, we have an even easier solution. You see, there may be a minor glitch in the system, something about robots seeing you as an endoskeleton without a costume on and wanting the stuff you into a suit. So hey, we've given you an empty pretty fat bear head. Problem solved. You can put it on any time and leave it on for as long as you want. Eventually anything that wandered in will wander back out. Essentially. Phone Guy has explained the obstacles that Jeremy must survive each night, as the toy animatronics have seemingly adopted the kinks of their predecessors. In fact, Phone Guy is adamant on a later night to Jeremy that the toy robots are actually, well, aggressive. The toy animatronics have earned a reputation for interacting with children completely normal, but whenever an adult enters into the equation, they just give off a blank, lifeless stare. Luckily, Phone Guy also informs Jeremy that the day ship reports nothing unusual going on besides the animatronic behavior. You may have also caught wind that Phone Guy mentioned a music box affecting one of the animatronics. Well, it just so happens to be the marionette, a robot who gives gifts and prizes from the gift shop and prize corner. The marionette is strange. Beyond its appearance of an old school string puppet, it apparently has a weird aura around it. According to Phone Guy, something about the puppet is uncanny to all those who see it, and somehow it always seems to be more aware than the others. I'll be honest, I never liked that puppet thing. It's always thinking that it can go anywhere. Uh, I don't think the Freddy mask will fool it, so just don't forget the music box. In that same call, he also apologizes to Jeremy that the older animatronics, though they have no reason to be active, are completely active and will wander the halls at night. Their new appearances were disturbing, to say the least. Robotic carcasses gouged from top to bottom, their metal skeletons and workings clearly visible underneath the torn leather, and their entire being slowly withering away. One would be a fool to not mistake them for metal zombies walking about. Perhaps we know why that old Nykaard left the day shift, huh? Despite Phone Guy's pleas that everything is under control, he still can't help but slip to Jeremy that things have been going from grand to worse. Apparently, rumors have begun to be spread about the restaurant, and some form of police investigation has been going on around the pizzeria. Phone Guy doesn't go into details, but when things be getting noticeably bad by the end of Jeremy's week, 
he informs Jeremy that the investigation was more than just police speculation. In fact, on his fifth night, the whole building goes on lockdown. With the exception of Jeremy himself, nobody is supposed to be allowed in or out the building, especially regarding any previous employees. Once again, Fungai doesn't go into too much detail about the subject, but he does inform us that Jeremy will be transferred to day shift once everything has been sorted out, as the position has suddenly become vacant. Things are so bad that even trying to get in contact with the previous owners of the business, not a Fazbear Entertainment, mind you, but the original pizzeria that Fazbear Entertainment bought out, a little place that started the entire brand, Fred Bear's Family Diner. But Phone Guy doesn't think the company will find anyone. The business has been closed for years, so he'll update Jeremy come his sixth night on the job. Once Jeremy's shift ends, a newspaper lets us know that the new Freddy Fazbear's Pizza will be closing its doors for good. Only after a few short weeks, the new toy animatronics are planned to be scrapped due to possible malfunctions. However, the original characters will be kept for potential reorganization of the company. Even that means operating on a much smaller scale, with a much smaller budget. And that is the story of Five Nights at Freddy's 2. Jeremy moves to the day shift and the night shift for the final night of the pizzeria before complete closure is carried out by a man named Fred Smith, who is also abruptly fired afterwards for foul odor and animatronic tampering, similar to Mike. Uh, strange, but also probably just a cheap way for Fazbear Entertainment to not have to pay some random new hire schmuck for a single day of work. Now, I sense that you wish for a bigger picture, as I did keep this brief. So, your questions may be, what exactly went wrong with the toy animatronics? What happened with the day shift guard? What was that investigation all about? Why is the puppet so aware that a music box must be used to calm it down? What was Jeremy's experience on the day shift? And what exactly is this original restaurant, even before the ones that hosted the original animatronics called Fred Bear's Family Diner? Well, let me enlighten you on a few of these mysteries, because to fully understand them, you need all the puzzle pieces. I haven't mentioned it yet, but a mechanic present in Final Fantasy Freddy's 2 is a meta form of storytelling called Death Minigames. When an animatronic kills Jeremy in the game, there's an odd chance that instead of being booted to the main menu to try the night again, the player will be greeted with a vibrant crimson static. After it abruptly clears, the player will find themselves in an old-school Atari-style minigame, with a creaking ambience reminiscent of a hum of a box television. These cutscenes have no dialogue and seldom have any written words, but each minigame is separated with a different phrase repeated on a loop from an otherworldly voice in the background, signaling off barely heard letters, 
spelling out a short sentence or command. Each minigame is different but has a few recurring events. It usually has the player take control of a Fazbear mascot character, completing some arbitrary tasks like taking cake to children as Freddy or moving to a show stage as Foxy. But over time, the minigame starts to unveil the true intentions and slowly becomes corrupted. For instance, the minigame where you take a cake to children as Freddy as you play the titular character instead of small room. This small location is, in actuality, representative of Fredbear's family diner, hence why no other characters are seemingly present. There is one oddity, however. A child outside the building, looking through the window, sobbing uncontrollably. As the game continues, a purple car starts to drive by, and a man represented in nothing but the color purple, and a wide smile gets out of his car. The crying child acts surprised and begins to cry out even harder. The tear sprites envelop and overlap their character sprite on the screen. As the tears subside, the child appears to be dead, and all the life and color drain from their body, and the smiling purple man simply gets in his car and drives away. When all of a sudden... <laughs> The marionette jump scares the player, coming out of the black void of the background as if apparating out of a television screen. What I have just described to you is an abridged version of the origin of the marionette. The first child to ever lose their life at one of these establishments, even before the missing children's incident. As two other minigames elaborate further on, that same purple man was behind the slaughter of the original five missing children killing them all by disguising himself in a yellow golden suit to have gained their trust, as the police had told us they suspected back in the newspaper clippings in Five Nights at Freddy's 1. But his original victim, the marionette, was there. The marionette gave gifts, both literally and figuratively, to his victims by giving them the gift of life and allowed their souls to linger on in this world in the mascot characters they loved. The Purple Man did not hide the bodies inside the suits, rather the puppet did, and it did so so those small souls could find their revenge. The others are under my protection. The final death minigame clears up the last few missing pieces, those being the investigation and what happened to shut down new Freddy Fazbear's pizza. Simply put, as you probably also suspected, that day shift guard was the purple guy. He has killed another set of five children. The ominous voice in the background when you play the game spells out S-A-V-E-T-H-E-M. Save them. As you play as Withered Freddy following around the marionette in the brand new pizzeria. Only for that same smiling man wearing his now day shift guard uniform, tackles and deactivates Freddy, leading to another stack screen with the words, you can't, you can't save them. As some of you more highly aware of this franchise know, this is the infamous purple guy. Now, unlike phone guy, this man does have a canonical name. We'll be going over all that eventually. All you have to know for the current story is that this is the man responsible for every ounce of misery, every ounce of agony caused by victims and families of this establishment. 
a cold-hearted man who smiles when taking the life of an innocent, depicted always in a shadowy aura of purple, with blackened eyes, with the faintest flicker of life hinting at the presence of a human soul within them. Before we wrap up for the night, I should probably close up one final plot point that I didn't talk about yet. And if I'm being honest, it really isn't that important. That is the bite of 87. You may remember Phone Guy mentioned this in the phone call back in 1993 in FNAF 1. It was the reasoning behind the Amtrak stationary position during the day, and why no one found it apropos the toy Amtraks could walk about the building during operating hours. You see, the problem with this little section is that there isn't a clear answer as to what exactly happened. We know the broad strokes, an animatronic bit off the frontal lobe of somebody, they survived, but it's the reason why animatronics are handicapped when the sun is out. There isn't much to go on here other than theory, which is unfortunately a dangerous territory to enter when you're trying to be as accurate to lore as possible. But the common conclusion that most agree upon is that Jeremy Fitzgerald, who was ordered to stay close to the animatronics during his day shift on night 7, had his frontal lobe bitten off of him by the mangle. This is supported by how when the mangle attacks Jeremy during the night shift, it usually does it perched up on the ceiling like a spider, and then swings for his head. However, in the more recent games, some lore has hinted at the possibility that maybe Toy Chica could have been the one responsible, given how she can remove her beak. But as I said, this plot point is really not that important. It doesn't come back to play at almost any other point in the Finance of Freddy's canon, and it really is just an old mystery that simply was never fully answered, and probably will never be. Its whole purpose is to justify why the robots can move around at night in the first game, but why they behave like what we would associate an animatronic would do in real life during the day. And with that, I believe today's episode is over. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to stay updated, please consider subscribing, following, or sharing this podcast. It truly helps us broaden our reach. Consider following us on our Twitter, at Fazbear Podcast, or joining us on our Discord using the link in the description below. Next episode, we will be finishing the Missing Children's Incident arc of the franchise. We will be time jumping nearly 30 years after the events of the first game, where Phasmin Entertainment and its tragedies are no more than an urban myth, and ignorance will prove valuable to those with dark intentions. So please join us as we wrap up our first arc with Finance of Freddy's 3. Shout out to our Patreon members who help support the show and give ideas for our next episode and scripts. Once again, I've been your host, Nick, and thank you for listening. Have a good night. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.